37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. That's you, dog. Oh, I didn't. I didn't get the signal. Yeah, because you're on your phone. Man, I've been watching the damn camera, you son of a bitch. Okay. <laughs> with that being said, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Pixelated Paranormal. This is a fun little episode. We're going to call 285. How to make a messy Nessie. I'm Sean, and I cannot stop listening to the Eurythmics. And with me, as always, is the guy who didn't signal me that it was time for me to talk. That's going to be Preston. What's up, all you cool ghosts and goblins, you crococoons and crocodingos, you fellers and fellettes and skeletors and skeletons? <laughs> I'm still an asshole, but I'm here. Awesome. Let me get a little level check here. Brought the big guns tonight. Well, as you guys can all assume by the title of the episode, this is Alistair Crowley Part 2, and we are super stoked to get into it. But before we begin, Preston, anything fun or exciting to add before we dive back into Mr. Crowley's butt cheeks? Nope. Well, you're making it easy on me, baby. Nothing. All right, well, we got to thank my wife for the news stories. First up, this came from last month, but I think it's really, really poignant for this episode. Topless women were recently caught munching on a deer carcass in bizarre CCTV footage. Bizarre security camera footage shows two scantily clad women appearing to feast on a deer carcass in the middle of the night. A nurse and a fellow nature lover in Canada recently reported capturing footage of what she said appeared to be two witches holding onto a deer carcass and eating it in a ritualistic fashion, with a camera set up near her home. I don't know what the heck was up with that, she said. Her name's Karina Stanhope, 36 years old, of Powell River, British Columbia. It really freaked us out, and it's not something you see every day. After coming across a deer carcass in a garden on her property, Stanhope said that she set up a camera to surveil any animals that might take interest in the deer and be predators later. Me and my grandpa put up a trail camera to see if we could see any animals. And we got a bobcat on the camera, which is pretty cool, so we left it up a little longer. She also added that her 76-year-old grandpa Bob was horrified the next morning when he checked the footage to see what he said was scantily clad women chomping down on the carcass overnight. I came the next day and Grandpa said he'd got naked people on the camera. And I said, no, you didn't. That's bullshit. So he showed me. Stanhope noted that the carcass eaters emerged about 10 minutes after sunset looking disheveled and said they looked like they were wearing wigs. You can't really tell from the photos, but the hoof was brought right up to their mouths. I don't know if the lady was kissing it, smelling it, or eating it, but one of them touched it. One of them touched the decaying carcass, and it made me feel sick. The amount of bacteria must have been on there. Oof. Maybe they were paying their respects, but they were naked. Stanhope noted that she was creeped out because the incident took place just two minutes away from where they lived. I was concerned about them messing with my horse at night, too. The horses always get really spooked and unnerved around that area. I thought they might be imagining things at first, so I didn't think anything about it. But maybe I believe them now. The nurse hopes the incident was simply a prank that other participants were involved in, and possibly even on drugs. She decided against contacting the police after her grandpa noted that nothing technically illegal had happened. 
Social media erupted after Stan Hope posted the photos online, with some people claiming it was a prank, but others speculating it was some kind of satanic or paranormal element at work. That's basically a walking demon from hell, one user wrote. And if you hear screaming, stay inside or at least get your gun. Others theorize that these possibly could have been skinwalkers or wendigos. Or fucking witches. <laughs> right, could have been witches too, yeah. Both of which, though, wendigos and skinwalkers, being supernatural entities, of course, with Native American folklore, which can run rampant in some parts of Northern America and Canada. I mean, if you have a bunch of fucking naked women out in the forest licking and eating and doing exorcist shit with fucking deer carcass i'm, I'm assuming that uh, they're trying to bring about the woodland <laughs> spirit i'm just saying I'm, I'm no fucking witch expert but i i feel fuck it i'm gonna you know what i'm gonna facebook message my mother-in-law because she's a witch and be like hey you ever get butt-ass naked and eat a dead deer on camera chess asking i need you to <laughs> Well, I thought you meant, would you like, you want to set this up? That's yeah. weird. Would you? Wouldn't you? <laughs> Come on. Right. Come on, Mom. Give me the 411. What's going on? She messaged me one time on Facebook because mm -hmm. Jeffrey was like posting all those pictures and videos of me making shit on the wood lathe. And she, or she left me like a seven minute detailed voicemail on how much money I could make at Wiccan conventions by making like ceremonial daggers and i'm like i i don't know if you know what wood turning is mom but uh i i can't i am not like a i'm not a i'm not, I'm not a blacksmith i don't forge like i'd have to make the fucking blade and then like make the tang out of wood that's it's too much work plus i don't want that bad juju on me like i don't know what you're sacrificing yeah. with that who it's going to what they're buying it for <laughs> right? like that's ooh yeah, that's just a rabbit hole I don't want to go down. And also, when you said Tang, I thought about astronaut orange juice. Anyway. Yeah. It's a kick in the glass. <laughs> I like it. Okay, this next story comes from June 7th. Officials in New York made a gruesome discovery last Thursday when the remains of two decapitated goats were found behind a Burger King on Long Island. The remains have been placed in black plastic bags behind the restaurant located in Farmingdale, New York. Detectives with Suffolk County Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, the SPCA, described this as a ritualistic sacrifice. Other items found at the scene may suggest a ritualistic animal sacrifice, according to authorities. The Suffolk County SPC, SPCA is offering a $2,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the individuals responsible for the barbaric act of animal cruelty and unjustifiably harming, mutilating, and or killing an animal. All too many times, these gruesome finds are discovered by not only adults, but occasionally by children. The act of violence must stop now. This is not the first time the Suffolk County SPCA had made similar discoveries. Apparently back in September 2022, they also discovered the decomposing remains of five decapitated chickens and two decapitated goats just off the Northern State Parkway. At this time, the SPCA indicated the animals were killed as part of some kind of ritualistic animal sacrifice. Anybody who may have been witness to this or any other incident of animal cruelty should contact the SPCA of Suffolk County at 631-382-7722. So that kind of gets your whistle wet for tonight's episode, eh? Yeah. Yeah, he says as he vapes. 
Anyway, last time we met, we talked about that naughty, sex-starved devil of debauchery, Mr. Beast 666 himself, Alistair Crowley. And we talked about a handful of his salacious sexual antics. But tonight, we're going to get into some of his more magical exploits, starting our journey back in the year of 1906. April 20th, 1906. The infamous Beast 666 was up to his usual shenanigans in Shanghai, trying to summon his holy guardian angel as one door on a typical tu- as one does on a typical Tuesday. <laughs> Should have put my... As one yeah. door? <laughs> as one door closes, another one opens, apparently. Should have put my bifocals on. I could probably read a little bit easier. Anyways, he was visiting a woman... Elaine Thompson, a former flame, possibly Scarlet Woman. Simpson. Whatever. <laughs> and a uh, fellow member of the <laughs> Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. That old secret society dedicated to the study and practice of the occult. Now, Crowley had originally joined the Order back in 1898 after leaving Cambridge University, where he had developed an interest in the arcane arts. It was partly his rebellion against his strict Christian upbringing and partly an outlet for his insatiable sexual appetite, drugs, and debauchery. Mm -hmm. The old trifecta. And don't forget, too, old Crowley had been eagerly sexually active from a very young age, oftentimes visiting sex workers since his mid-teens. And he also had his first real mystical experience, which he said was to be the result of his first erotic homosexual encounter. So never forget, lots of sexy sex magic going on here. Well, despite quickly rising through the ranks of the Golden Dawn, Crowley had a knack for rubbing people the wrong way. Imagine that. And sometimes the right way, because this guy knew how to get it on. As he oftentimes clashed (laughs) with, with other members, including the author of Dracula himself, Bram Stoker, and poet... W.B. Yeats. Crowley believed that uh, their whole tizzy was simply because Yeats was jealous of his poetic prowess, but who knows? I mean, a whole book entitled White Stains and, you know, whatever the fuck we read last time. Oh, your, your vomit smells so good. Death and decay. Do it again. Touch my wang. I mean... If I was a poet, I would be jealous of that. <laughs> yeah, he was a regular Robert Frost yeah. in his day. I think personally that Yeats or Yates or however you know, however you pronounce his name um, was probably just tired of Crowley's constant shenanigans. The more conservative members of the Golden Dawn believe that a magician should abstain from sex, drink, and drugs. You got to keep the mind pure. You got to keep it clean. You can't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of those vices in there, you're going to fucking screw everything up. But for Crowley, that was just child's play. Fuck yeah, we need sex. Fuck yeah, we need drugs. We need a little rock and roll. We need, you know, a lot of alcohol. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he was also accused of black magic. Yeah, yeah, he was also accused of black magic while he himself was accusing Yeats of using black magic against him in return. 
Crowley, though, was never one to shy away from a challenge. So when he heard about a very special and very forbidden magical ritual called the Ritual of Amberlin, a six-month black magic ritual that nobody had dared undertake in century, he knew he had to give it a go. I mean, why not? You're Aleister Crowley, the big bad magician. Just fucking show these people Fuck who's yeah, who. yeah, man. So the aim of the Ritual of Amberlin was to invoke the summoning of the magician's holy guardian angel. But... To do so, the person performing it had to invoke the 12 kings and dukes of hell, including Lucifer, Satan, Leviathan, Belial, maybe Payman. I don't know if you ever watched the movie Hereditary. Hey, you know Payman. how that turned out. But no biggie, right? Uh-huh. Crowley was ready to take on the challenge and, and gain command of them in his own mental universe. And he was dealing with some real big baddies to begin with. So I think that's one problem worth noting is like when you open the door to not only the four or five you just mentioned, but fucking all 12 kings and dukes of hell. Fuck yeah. that noise. Fuck that noise. The other the problem here was that the ceremony also had an introduction that states that nobody should ever fucking perform it. Whoops. <laughs> right. Damn. Hey. <laughs> We created this, but we're here to tell you, don't fucking do it. But uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Crowley was not one to be deterred by that. He dove right in, baby. He got his hands wet. Really wet. Mm -hmm. Ready to conquer the Amberlin and summon his very own guardian angel. But as fate would have it, in order to prove that he was the best magician out of them all, Crowley would start a super-duper demon challenge only to have it break off in the middle of the ritual before the initial completion. Because during his first attempt, he would also have to return to Paris to take sides during a little scuffle in the Golden Dawn. Thus, the Holy Guardian Angel would have to wait. That's right, buddy. Crowley's uh, mystical dilly-dallying in the dark arts may have actually led to the earliest sighting of a very famous aquatic cryptid that I fucking hate. Thanks. <laughs> right? Well, let's just get into that, shall we? Back when Crowley was practicing the summoning ritual from the Book of Sacred Magic of Abra Malin, the mage, Crowley purchased the Bullskin House of Loch Ness. The house was considered perfect for the ceremony due to its relative seclusion, because, as Crowley would put it, One must have a house where proper precautions against disturbance can be taken. This being arranged, there really was nothing to do with it to aspire with increasing fervor and concentration for six months. Toward the obtaining of knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel, a.k.a. this place is kind of in the middle of nowhere and no one is going to interrupt him for the entire six months he was trying to summon his very own Pokemon. Now, the house is also said to be uh, necessary for the opening to the north, where Crowley built a terrace adorned with fine river sand, a place where, as proof of the ritual's progress, it was often said footprints of spirits were said to appear. Anyhoozle, Crowley intended to invoke what he called the Lords of Darkness in a painstaking six-month ritual which would compel them to serve with the forces of good. A process that hopefully, culminating in the contact of the higher self, a guardian angel of sorts would then see Crowley through to enlightenment. 
But as one can imagine, these so-called dark forces wouldn't take kindly to being bound to the light and were expected to put up a fight. And apparently during this time when he lived in Scotland, Crowley describes some really odd effects that began to happen as the ritual was going on on the property, some affecting the house, others affecting the townsfolk themselves. One day, he said when he came back from shooting rabbits up on a hill, he found a Catholic priest waiting for him in his study. He came to Alistair to tell him that his lodgekeeper, a total alcohol abstainer for over 20 years, had out of nowhere gotten ravingly drunk for three days straight and then tried to kill his wife and his own children. Crowley also said that a local man that he had hired for a general laborer had gone mad one afternoon and attempted to kill Crowley. And in addition to that, a local butcher was said to accidentally cut off his own hand right after reading a note that was written by Crowley. Anyway, meanwhile back in London, the members of the Golden Dawn had become increasingly unsatisfied with another guy's leadership named Mathers, and his growing friendship with Crowley continued to just piss off the entire Golden Dawn. So the adepts were tired of relying on Mathers to contact the secret chiefs, the ancient cosmic authorities who dictate the other order of the universe, so the members were anxious to contact the beings themselves to form their own temples and to rid themselves of Mathers' autocratic rule. Feeling the pressure building, Mathers sent out for the assistance of Crowley, who had previously promised his financial and social resources should the need ever arise. So despite his better judgment, Crowley just fucking dropped everything during this ritual and traveled all the way to Paris in order to assist his friend and his mentor. Interrupting his magical ceremony would later prove to be a grave mistake, however. So shortly after Crowley left for Paris, locals began to murmur about strange dark clouds hanging in the skies around the Bolskin house. Many residents going as far out of their way to avoid traveling near the building as they could Upon his return to Bolskin, Crowley immediately said he felt changes in his own estate. Even his protege had to, had to flee the property as soon as he was gone. So basically, Crowley left saying, hey, stay here and keep doing magic shit. And then like the next day, this guy's like, no, I'm fucking out of here. Fuck this noise. Crowley returned and for a short bit, spent a little more time at the house and then left again shortly after to go to New York and then to Egypt. But the Bolskin house changed hands many times after, with the various owners all reporting strings of terrible luck. One prominent owner, a British film star George Sanders, sought out to build a pig farm on the property. Unfortunately, though, the venture failed and his partner was sent to jail. Thus, the animals all starved to death on the property. Another owner, a retired army major, committed suicide in Crowley's old bedroom. And people began to not only see dark, shadowy forms and figures in the clouds and the sky above, but they also reported to see strange, dark, shadowy shapes in the local waterways. Anyway, it was that kind of strangeness that went on for years, leading believers of the mystical and the occult to believe that the house itself had become some sort of portal, and the unfinished ceremony Crowley had started many months earlier had left it open as a gateway to worlds unknown connected to our physical world that we lived in, and then spreading the activity from beyond into the confines of the house itself, slowly leaching out into the surrounding areas. And this 
Then around the year of 1933 is when the Loch Ness Monster began to appear and rear its long reptilian head. And it's with this very portal idea that many people believe that old Nessie came through as a demon accidentally summoned by Aleister Crowley himself. And this very demon can then dodge in and out of our physical reality, hiding in various parts of the locks because it itself is not a flesh and blood animal, but instead some kind of supernatural beast that Crowley accidentally summoned that tends to just favor the locks. It's like, uh, Satan's like water mermaid. You know how like Poseidon always rides in on like <laughs> seahorses? Like Satan's like coming out of the ocean. He's like, boom, fucking Loch Ness, bitch. <laughs> so after the trip to Paris, the guy goes on a fancy mountaineering excursion in Mexico, then decides to hit up San Francisco. And while he's there, he stays in Chinatown and suddenly has an epiphany about the Chinese spirit. According to Crowley, the Chinese weren't obsessed with the delusion that the profits and pleasures of life are really valuable. Crowley goes on to say that they understand the material possessions are worthless, so they get more out of them. Maybe uh, Crowley's own words uh, can make it sound a little less racist. It was the first time that I had come into contact with the Chinese spirit in bulk. And though the exiles were naturally the least attractive specimens of the race, I realized that instantly their spiritual superiority to the Anglo-Saxon and my very own deep-seated affinity to their point of view. Nope. Still sounds bad. Yeah, yeah he still... Still sounds like a racist. Still sounds like an asshole. <laughs> yeah. We took out the word Chinaman this time, folks, because it is yeah. not nice. Yeah. Anyways, this dude is so impressed with the Eastern philosophy that he decides to marry a woman named Rose Kelly and go on a honeymoon in Egypt. And guess what? With the help of his new wife, the Egyptian god Horus, and the museum exhibit with the number 666, and uh, maybe an underage Egyptian fuckboy, he finally makes contact with his holy guardian angel, the angel named Awas. And this was the entity who dictated the Book of Law to Crowley over three days in a super creepy, disembodied voice. Just your average uh, honeymoon activity, I guess. <laughs> Imagine, like, just being this guy's wife and him saying, Say, sweetie, let's go to Cairo, Egypt and have ourselves a nice little honeymoon. And then you walk in there and it's a scene straight out of fucking yeah. Ghostbusters. <laughs> or Evil Dead, you know. Oh, Right. <laughs> a little bit, bit of, of A, a little bit of B. But that's not all. Crowley also claimed to have previously performed a ritual in the King's Chamber of the Great Pyramid back in 1904, where he described the rituals in his book, The Equinox of the Gods, saying that he had received a vision of the god Horus and had performed a ritual to invoke his very presence. And, uh... You know, Crowley, who's, you know, full of himself, also claimed to have performed the ritual in the Temple of Luxor in 1904. He described this ritual in another of his books, the Book of Law, saying that he received a message from the god Horus that entrusted him to perform yet again another ritual. But wait, there's more. There are also stories that Crowley <laughs> cast spells in Egypt particularly during his time in Cairo in the early 1900s, and according to some accounts, he would perform rituals and cast spells in the desert outside of Cairo, often accompanied by a group of followers. Some of Crowley's followers have even claimed that he was able to perform 
uh, miraculous feats in Egypt, such as levitation and telekinesis. Of course, not everyone believes Crowley. Some people say this guy is full of shit. Some critics have accused him of exaggerating or even fabricating his experiences, while others have argued that his practices were unethical, even dangerous. I mean, I'm just <laughs> going to say if uh, you want to know more about that, uh, you know, do some research on uh, his little underage Egyptian fuckboy that he put in the Great Pyramid and did some weird sex magic on. It's not a good guy. Not a good yeah. time. Unethical. <laughs> but, uh, hey, you know, after all that, at least the guy had a good time on his honeymoon, right? After all right. this, though, Crowley is still not convinced that his experience was authentic. Could have been the drugs. Could have been the, you know, the sex and debauchery. So he decides to continue his uh, worldly wanderings, kind of like, uh, what was that, uh, you know, the, the kung fu guy, like Kane or whatever it was, uh, that just traveled the world and mm -hmm. you know it's crowley but you know he's a magician instead of a kung fu master first up <laughs> a disastrous attempt to climb one of the world's highest mountains and i'm gonna fuck this word kang chinjunga yeah i'd buy that man it's probably not too shabby okay we're gonna go with it during an avalanche that killed four men crowley uh, ignored their pleas for help and just sat in his tent drinking tea what a guy yeah that guy was a, a real seasoned mountaineer and he just let all those people die like some kind of fuck brick yep <laughs> uh you know what uh i'm not gonna open up the tent flap and deal with this shit i'm gonna finish my cup of uh earl and uh, just hope it all goes mm -hmm. away mm-hmm he gets into a uh, little trouble while he's in uh, calcutta and has to shoot a guy who tried to mug him fucking oops so then he decides to head to China mm -hmm. because, you know, when you're on the run after shooting someone back in the early 1900s, nobody's going to fucking look for you in China. So that's probably like the next logical step, right? Yeah. Alistair Crowley's arrival in China, however, was anything but ordinary. As he crossed the border from Burma into the Yunnan province, he decides to take a break from his uh, pony ride and stretch his legs. He then tried to remount. His trusty seed had other ideas and sent them both tumbling down a 40-foot cliff. As he lay on the ground, waiting for the pain of his broken body to set in, he was surprised to find himself completely unscathed. He took this as a sign that uh, he was being protected for some you know, prophetic purpose and declared himself the world's greatest mm -hmm. Magnus. With a renewed sense of purpose, Crowley threw himself into his spiritual and magical work, reciting a preliminary invocation daily to once again get back into contact with his holy guardian angel, a wasp. But hold the phone here because wasn't there a little more about his journey to China that meets the eye? Should we also maybe title this Secret Agent 00 Crowley? Yeah, I mean... There's so much to uncover with this guy. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. This, that's what makes it hard to do an episode about this guy or even three because there's so much just fucking twists and turns. But, yeah, we were thinking about magic and there's this whole other fucking side of this guy here. So you tell us a little bit about According it. According to uh, Richard B. Spence's book, Secret Agent 666, which is way cooler than 007, <laughs> Alistair Crowley. <laughs> 
British intelligent and the occult, Crowley may have been working as a spy. The first James Bond. Yunnan province was a hotbed for Anglo-French competition with tensions running high over the construction of the Yunnan Token Railway. Crowley himself noted that the French had flooded Yunnan Fu with agents. As a major opium producer, Yunnan was also a source of concern (laughs) for the British, who were considering a ban on the drug. Crowley's personal interest in the effects of opium made him feel uh, made him the perfect cover for gathering information, and even he even settled uh, a little official affair with the uh, consul general in Yunnan Fu. Of course, Crowley couldn't resist indulging in a little bit of opium himself. <laughs> this reminds me of The Office when Michael Scott starts writing about himself as a secret agent. Like, everything just seems to work out so much. And I think and, uh, Alistair Crowley was a real, like, and yeah. also, you know, kind of person. But, oh, and also, I, and also, I probably and also? see him like giving, giving them false information just so that he can keep shooting up opium. Like, all right, like, I don't, I don't need you guys to destroy the opium <laughs> tray because, like, daddy's getting fucking high over here. But let me just give you a little bit yep. of information yep. and then, uh, you know, poof. Turn your, turn your head, okay, because I need to go get high again. Yeah, I think we just discovered how this guy's contacting Horus and Iwas. Uh, it's yep. the opium. Uh, I'm not saying it's aliens. Yeah. It's the opium. <laughs> so, after uh, spending several months traveling around China, Crowley and his wife Rose decided to head back to Britain. But there was a problem. Crowley couldn't risk going himself to collect their belongings in Calcutta. So he did what any self-respecting occultist and secret double agent would do and headed to Shanghai to consult with Elaine Thompson, a.k.a. Simper Fildus. Now, Crowley and Simpson hadn't spoken to each other in years, but they kept in touch through astral journeys. They were (laughs) sleep-fucking. And uh, psychic (laughs) meetings and on other planes of existence. And Simpson's mother wasn't too thrilled about their relationship. Crowley described her as a six-rate singer, a first-rate snob with dew laps and a paunch, a matchmaker, mischief-maker, muddling and muddled-headed. Man, that's what a way with words. That's how you, that's how you keep them, folks. Yeah. You tell them how they yeah. really are. Don't, don't, <laughs> sh- don't sugarcoat it. They're like, hey, does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> Fuck yeah, look at look at them dewlaps. Look at that paunch. Of course you look fat. That's what old <laughs> Crowley would do. Man. It reminds me of a bender from um, Futurama. You ruined my dress! And he's like, honey, that dress has ruined the day you put it on. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Crowley and Simpson go to work on some magic together, and she agreed to help him invoke Iwas once again. April 20th, they went to her temple. I'm assuming that's a euphemism for sex. <laughs> he mm-hmm, went mm-hmm. in. And according <laughs> to uh, Crowley's confession, a wasp appeared to them on the astral plane in a brilliant blue with a with wand in hand, like he was ready to go. Mm. Yeah. But that's not all. Simpson had some news for Crowley. He has followed you all along. He wants you to follow his cult. 
After a, a wasp instructed Crowley to return to Egypt uh, and for three signs, he had some bad news for his partner in crime, Elaine Simpson, the spirit declared. Do not take Fidelis. I do not like the relation between you two. Break them off. Yet I would wish you to love physically, to make a perfect circle of your union. Fidelis will not do so. Therefore, she is useless. If she did, she would become useful. In other words, unless Simpson was down to get down with Crowley and become, you know, the Scarlet Woman, a.k.a. cum receptacle, she was out of the picture. Married and faithful, Simpson was not interested in Crowley's advances. So, he left Shanghai on April 21st, but not for Egypt like Awas had instructed. Nope, he had bigger plans. He was off to America to raise funds for his second expedition to Kang Chinjunga. Again, mm. I don't know, but we're going to roll with it. On the 22nd, It's a great though, place to kill your fellow mountain climbers, yeah. man, so why not go back? He was feeling pretty sick, and he uh, stayed in bed all day. He dismissed the Shanghai experience as a morbid dream and showed some uh, uh, oblivion about the role that uh, the Harish played in his experience. Fast forward to the 20, 1920, and uh, the shit we covered from the last episode, and Crowley was ready to put all that he learned into practice. He founded a commune uh, in the Abbey of Philema in Palermo. Uh, had a sex magic. Uh, uh, oh, but his sex magic was even too much for Mussolini, who kicked him out of the country three years later uh, amid rumors <laughs> of orgy invoking a goat and a young Oxford graduate dying after drinking cat blood. Mm. I didn't know cat blood could kill you, but apparently don't fucking touch it. I'm sure if it sits out at room temperature long enough, it's not a good thing. Yeah, yeah. From there, things went downhill. Crowley drifted into full-blown heroin addiction and eventually died in a boarding house in Hastings, England in 1947. After his doctor refused to continue his opiate prescription, and get this, the doctor died within 24 hours of Crowley. Some say the Beast 666 had put a curse on him. Well, what can you do? Now, let's go back here real quick, because Crowley was also all over the place and was casting spells and having orgies, or, I mean, rituals, like there was no tomorrow. Back in 1918, Crowley started a series of magical workings called the all Melantra workings and some swanky furnished rooms up in the Central Park, West New York City. New York City! And what kind of magical workings, you might ask? I think we all know. Sexual and ceremonial magic with the K, of course. The goal was to invoke certain intelligences to physical manifestation. Now, do these intelligences actually show up in the flesh? Not exactly. Instead, Crowley and his partner, Roddy Miner, received a series of visions and communications through the mediumship of Miner. But at least one entity did make an appearance, though, through the magical portal they created. The entity called itself Lom, or was named Lom by Crowley. Either way, he believed it was an interdimensional origin, which was the term for extraterrestrial back in the day. In communications with Lom, the symbolism of an egg was a pretty big deal. He described Lom as an extraterrestrial being with small, gray, and somewhat reptilian body. 
big ol' eyeballs and a slit for a mouth. So like we talked about with Lazarus, kind of like the first good old-fashioned gray. Crowley even included the portrait of Lom in his Dead Souls exhibition in Greenwich, Greenwich Village back in 1919. And in the same year, it was published as a front piece labeled The Way to Crowley's Commentary in Blavatsky's The Voice of Silence. Beneath the picture was the following inscription. Lom is the Tibetan word for way or path, and Lama is he who goeth. The specific title of Gods of Egypt, the treader of the path, and in Buddhist phraseology, its numerical value is 71, the number of this book. Fuck me, this guy's full of himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But other than that, there's not much commentary from Crowley himself about the subject of Lom. Disciples of Kenneth Grant, though, have published material on it. And get this, Crowley even gave the drawing to Grant back in 1945. So since Crowley's time, a bunch of folks who fancied themselves as his spiritual heirs have claimed to have contacted Lom. And we're not talking about, you know, woolly farm animals here and there, folks. No, we're talking about the transmundane or extraterrestrial entity itself. Apparently, some of these folks have had some pretty remarkable success in their invocations, if you believe them. The OTO, which is the magical order run by Crowley, has been particularly interested in this whole lom thing. In fact, in 1987, Kenneth Grant, who's considered to be Crowley's successor, formalized the Lom workings into something called the Cult of Lom. And no, it's not a cult that worships woolly farm animals either. According to Grant, the Portugal Lom is the present focus of an extraterrestrial, and perhaps a trans-Plutonic energy which the OTO is required to communicate with at this critical period. So what does it all mean? Well, members of the OTO who feel strongly attracted to this Cult of Lom are invited to apply for a participation therein. It's open to only order members, so don't get any funny ideas. Take a little field trip, folks, because it's not going to work. The proficiency in the magical formula is this of this cult does not necessarily comport eligibility for advancement in the OTO. It's parent order. Jesus, that was a mouthful, bud. But what exactly are these LOM entities? Well, supposedly, they might be little green men from Mars but not quite exactly. When one invokes Lom, they are invoking an entity of that type rather than the specific being, kind of like a hive mind. For cultists operating along OTO lines, the idea is to invoke these Lom entities through magical portals, intentionally created rifts in time and space, into physical manifestations on the planet Earth. Why this is desirable is not always so clearly stated, but if Crowley did it, then everyone wants to do it. Fuck yeah, man. If he jumped off a bridge and had sex with a goat, then I want to jump off a bridge and have sex with a goat. Now, are you having sex with a goat while you're jumping off the bridge or at the bottom of the bridge? Um, did I just uh, sniff some opium? Uh, that if the answer is yes, <laughs> then I'm fucking the goat while I'm doing it. If not, then I'm, I'm holding okay. on to dear life. It's got to be a short, short bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Bortio, a LOM conduct con- teen invoker of note, viewed LOM as the subterranean burgeoning of Lucifer Gnosis. Yeah, we know it sounds like a mouthful, but basically, Bertio believed that knowing LOM is to know a welling up from the unconscious of an inner knowing of Lucifer. 
And before you start thinking that occultists are all devil worshippers, it's important to bear in mind that Lucifer is often seen as a light bringer who fell to the earth, which we kind of talked about back in the uh, Thieves in the Night series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Bordio goes on to say that Lom is the natural mode of human evolution in the presence of Eon. So to him and his followers, this Lucifer Gnosis is the appropriate path of human spiritual growth at this time. Which is really interesting, too, because a lot of folks believe that the gray aliens are just humans that have evolved so far out, uh, literally out into outer space, that uh, that's what we look like when we go off into you know, the cosmos. We no longer have to have bodies of mass or these little skinny, frail things, and we got big old heads and big old eyeballs because all we do is learn, and we can't see in the dark, so our eyeballs fucking quadruple in shape. And we got big old brains and little pocket mouths because we've also developed telekinesis. Anyway... For Crowley, the intentional cultivation of spiritual growth was the great work. And the great work involved precisely the establishment of contact with non-human intelligences. Intelligences such as Lom. John Keel, a well-known researcher and author in this field, also believed that many paranormal situations, like the Mothman, were actually also due to occult activity. And it turns out he might have been on to something, kind of like when Crowley may have summoned the Loch Ness Monster. One of the most interesting things about the occult activity is the ritual for invoking Lom, or Loms. And let me tell you this, it's not your average light a candle and say a prayer kind of thing. No, no. According to Grant, the first step is to meditate on the eyes of Crowley's Lom portrait. Apparently gazing into those eyes is like an invitation for a potent contact. You'll start to feel an immediate sensation of lightness, even weightlessness and then a sensation of falling or even being sucked into a vortex. Does that sound kind of familiar? Yeah, like being in a fucking uh, uh, float tank. Imagine the next time we go to a float tank, we print off a picture Mm -hmm. of Lom and put some double-sided sticky tape and stick it on the lid and then sit there (laughs) as we're floating around in the float tank, feeling like we're spinning in a vortex, Mm -hmm. we're making eye contact with this thing, and that's when the shit goes down. Well, if being sucked into a vortex sounds familiar and you're a UFO investigator, it should. Witnesses often report feeling like they're being sucked into the eyes of gray aliens. And let's not forget the deep feelings of fear that come along with it as well. Anyway, back to the Lom ritual, Grant continues with these instructions. The eyes with, uh, will enlarge and will suck into your consciousness until there arises a sensation of being within the entity's head. And supposedly, that's supposed to be a good thing, folks. Man, Lazarus dropped in here. Um, numerous students of um, Michael, I called him uh, Bertillo's, uh, said that he had a lot of sexual misconduct, and he's also a noted fraud and an accused molester. Well, as it turns out, I think a lot of times when you're in a cult, uh, when you are in a cult, a cult, uh, that's what it turns out to be as well. Molesters and uh, sexual deviants. Bertio also invented a BS cult called the Gnostic Vodion, Vodion, which became a popular amongst the Thelemites with a Caribbean fetish. His group was called the Monastery of the Seven Rays. Interesting. And his most noted student appeared in the series Hellier, a ufologist and Thelemite named T. Allen. Oh, whoa! Yeah, I remember T. Allen Greenfield. Huh, Interesting. Uh, he conducts spooky rituals in the mountain in uh, Georgia when not dressing in a Hawaiian t-shirt and making jokes that no one else finds funny. I do remember that guy. 
<laughs> now I got to go back and rewatch Hellier. But that's kind of interesting. The fact that, again, all this stuff kind of just swirls around and around and around. It all kind of relates to itself. So it's a deep rabbit hole, man. A deep, deep rabbit hole. <laughs> Man, it is a deep rabbit hole, and to prevent this episode from being two hours long, I cut a lot of my stuff out that I was going to put in here, but um, on the next episode, we got a lot of really great stuff coming. We've got uh, people turning into bats, there's mention of vampires, uh, we have other um, occultist groups that are possessed by different entities, um, a lot of really interesting stuff coming up. We're really going to dive deep into the, just the batshit crazy magical rantings of this guy and some of the things that he claims to have happened so i'm pretty excited for that uh that means presto we're probably going to push that music episode back one episode so yeah you can just put your feet up and relax and i'll uh i'll do some heavy lifting for you fuck yeah i'm really excited for that's the, just a problem with the, the cover art that i sent you today for uh the jimmy page <laughs> episode of him behind behind or in front right. of a castle playing a guitar i was like fuck yeah yep Fuck yeah, yeah. I totally agree, man. That's going to be a fun episode, man. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff because then you have tangents to go off into Zozo and everything else. So it'll be some really good stuff, man, most definitely. Well, buddy, you got anything else to drop into this episode or is that about do it? That probably about does. If I don't hurry up and get the fuck off here, my kid's going to have a panic attack because he wants to get on the old Xbox and play Fortnite. And I told him to stay off that fucking Aww. thing until we get done recording so he doesn't <laughs> get into my bandwidth and... <laughs> Whenever we're talking, it's like, <laughs> like what happened? Dude, hog the bandwidth. <laughs> oh, good old country internet. Like, I didn't realize that he was down in the podcast studio on my Xbox and started to download uh, Call of Duty because I had taken that off. We hadn't played it in a while, and I wanted to free up some space mm -hmm. on the old hard drive. And I'm like, why the fuck is my internet so choppy? And why is Sean cutting in and out? Well, after we got mm -hmm. off, I turned the X or I flipped over to the Xbox, and I'm like, that little motherfucker, <laughs> because it was downloading like an 80 gigabyte game, and I'm like, that'll it! do it, man. That's that'll why. do it. That'll do it with my internet, let that'll alone up there, it. man. So, golly. All right. Well, folks, we want to thank everybody for joining us and watching. We're super stoked that you guys uh that you guys and gals and everybody tried to jump on here with us. Uh, some of you jumped on a little late, but that's all right. Um, these Aleister Crowley episodes seem to get a lot of uh, views after we've posted them, so that's pretty exciting stuff. But um, and Yeah, yeah. Kevin, thanks for still being our executive producer. Uh, we appreciate it. Beth and HR, we try to make your job a little bit easier. We took out anything offensive about Chinese people, even though Aleister Crowley is a uh, blatant racist. <laughs> So you're welcome. Making your job easier, too. Well, you know, just because Crowley was a racist doesn't mean we have to be. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, if you're on the social medias, please give us a follow. If you're on Instagram, we are at PXL Paranormal. If you're on Facebook, we are the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Uh, we have a Twitter. I haven't touched it. That thing is going tits up real quick. It looks like old... Uh, Muskadusk made it to where you can only view 600 posts a day, so I can't wait to see how this thing turns into a giant smoldering pile of ashes. Um, Preston, talk to me about YouTube, buddy. Man, we've gained like two Ooh. followers since last time, so we're up to like 266. So if you're watching this, if you typed in the search bar Alistair Crowley and this is one of the videos popped up and you like what you're seeing, that little green spot, Alert below Baphomet and titties <laughs> that says like and subscribe. 
I don't know. Follow those directions. Like, subscribe, share with all your friends. Help us grow the channel. We greatly Boom, appreciate shaka, it. Waka. Awesome. Hell yeah. Look, and as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, hell, if you're out in the fucking Scotland wilderness and you're trying to invoke, uh, you know, Beelzebub, Satan, and, and all you get is a Loch Ness monster, well, chances are your beard wasn't on par. <laughs> you, you weren't rocking the beard game. So you should do yourself a favor and go over to Big Dobbs Beard Bomb dot com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. Again, use promo code PXLA. Wait, what is it? PXLPARA. <laughs> That's it. For 20% off your order, pick yourself up some scents like Bay Rum, Fresh, Citrus, Mint, Classic, and Sweet Tobacco. I like Bay Rum. I kind of float back between Bay Rum and Sweet Tobacco. That's what I got in there right now. So get it all. Get it at Dobbs. Very nice. And if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by, see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang over at CD Trade Post, Pawnee and Seneca. All righty, folks. Well, I'd like to take this moment to say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast that pixelated paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal your guide to the unusual and the strange.